this is Beth Davis with In The Loop. I am really excited today to have not one, but two members of the scrum.org team with us today, uh, Patricia Kong and Kurt Bittner. So welcome, Patricia and Kurt. Hey. Hey, thank you. Good, welcome. So hey, maybe what's um, helpful um, is uh, have each of you just give us a quick, who are you and, and how did you how did you get into this world of Scrum and Agile and, and maybe more importantly, why does it matter to you so much? So maybe Patricia, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, my first instinct is to say by banging my head on the table and all previous <laughs> interactions professionally before, um, but that would be rude. So um, I actually, um, I'm at Scrum.org. I've been uh, at Scrum.org for a while and Scrum dot um, org is the home of Scrum. So it um, is founded by Ken Schwaber, who is the co-creator of the Scrum framework. Um, and I've had the privilege to work there for seven or eight years. And we've really thinking about training and education and certification around Scrum. Um, but I started working with Ken, really kind of managing the kitchen sink and thinking about um, a lot around continuous improvement. So when we talk about teams working together, um, how do we spread some of that goodness um, outside of the organization? And um, I've had the privilege to work with Kurt for a few years now, and we're really the yin and the yang of uh, each other's yin and yang, I suppose, um, <laughs> to, to working on those things together. But before that, I have a, um, I have a business background. So I came up through um, finance, investment services, um, organizational behavior background. And I've really been... Um, I think getting smaller and smaller with the organizations that I've, I've been working with and, and trying to see what impact can I have on larger organizations. And then it's always come back between large organizations and helping individuals. And so somehow really, you know, wanting to help people and doing that, that's how I um, joined scrum.org where we have the mission of improving the profession of software delivery. So that's kind of a roundabout way of saying it. Kurt? That's awesome. That's how you my got yang, to My yin or my yang, Kurt. There you go. Yeah, I'm, we'll have to figure that out. Um, <laughs> that depend on the day, maybe. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, I've, so I've had a really long and, and kind of, I don't know if it's a varied career because I've always been in some aspect of product development or software development. And... Um, while a lot of organ, a lot of people, you know, they, they've kind of come from maybe a traditional background. Um, I've always found myself working on relatively small teams um, that were mostly self-organizing or self and, and self-managing. I'll make a slight distinction. We can come back to that later. Um, so it, it sort of surprised me. And after working, you know, sort of six or eight years coming out of college to sort of encounter people from other organizations who, you know, had this sort of very, were in top-down organizations and didn't really feel like they were empowered because everything I had done up to, until that point had been, you know, somebody gave me a, a relatively vaguely defined, hey, this is something we kind of like to do or this is something we're thinking about and off we go. And so, you know, it's, I guess maybe in some ways uh, I've spent the rest of my career either trying to help other people get to that point and discover what's, you know, what's really powerful about working that way or, um, you know, helping to helping organizations discover that that's a lot more, uh, it's, it's a lot more effective way to work, but it's also just better. Um, 
So it's, it's kind of a long way of saying, so, you know, I've run development organizations and I've been a, a organizational coach and I've coached teams and I've been a developer and I've, you know, been an industry analyst and all that. So I, I, I sort of have the good fortune to find myself at this point uh, working at Scrum.org, trying to pull a lot of those threads together and um, with Patricia to, to work on new ways of, uh, you know, developing workshops and, and presenting ideas and working out new ideas so that we can sort of promote those kinds of, of things. And, and at the same time, dismantle um, or help organizations dismantle a lot of the things that they're doing now that aren't very effective. So we're doing something interesting things around portfolio management and measurement right now. But um, so um, that's probably long-winded way of, of saying how I got here. Um, but anyway, it's, it's an interesting topic to me to, um, and, and, and I still find it sort of mystifying why, you know, people, you know, we, we all have very rich personal lives. We all have very rich lives in which we have to make complex decisions and we have to, you know, form relationships and alliances with other people to get things done and all that. And then we come into the working world and somehow that's, you know, we're, we're sort of um, transported to kind of an infantilism where, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of treated like, well, we can't make decisions on our own. So I, I, I like challenging organizations to, to sort of rethink that and, and really think about, you know, people are capable of doing a lot more than I think they're allowed to do. And, and, you know, what can we do to improve that? Yeah. Good. No, thank you both. It's, I, it's a, I was thinking about like when I actually met both of you and it's actually been over a couple of years that, um, you know, just getting to know both of you, getting to know the work of scrum.org. And, and I think what's always been interesting, especially talking to both of you is that the thing that you lead with always is about people and, mm-hmm. and this idea of, you know, some people forget that, oh yeah, it is the people that get the work done and it is the people that our companies are um, reliant upon and, and certainly not as resources, but as, as what you were just saying, Kurt, you know, people who, who can think and do great things together. And so, so maybe what would be helpful to, to lean into today, because so much of what happens in companies with people has a lot to do with, um, you know, policies and procedures, but also culture and structure. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, organizational cultures that you've experienced where, I know, Kurt, uh, you were mentioning earlier today about, you know, we, we say, hey, let's, let's do Scrum and let's bring the agile principles and mindsets forward and, and let's, let's self-organize um, or, or let's, let's start to empower team members. And yet, sometimes we don't know what that means or we don't, um, we say it because it feels good. Right, but we don't necessarily set the organization up to allow people to do these things that we we request. So maybe let's talk a little bit about you know where where have you seen it actually go well, where we've done uh, a good job, and and what have been some of those markers and companies that that get it right um, when we talk about starting to empower people more. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll jump in and start. Um, so I had a really interesting experience, sort of um, almost first thing in my career uh, that sort of stuck with me. And, that, and it was the organization I was working with was was a large bank. Um, I think it was in the top ten in the country at the time, which today isn't isn't very big because we've consolidated. But um, 
basically the, the bank had run into a bunch of trouble and was um, getting bailed out by the, the federal government. Um, so there, there was an interesting process going on in that um, the government had basically acquired about four and a half billion dollars worth of assets that, that it really didn't know what to do with. So this was an unprecedented um, thing. They were going to try to work out the portfolio. And so, you know, basically a, a relatively small group of us were sort of, you know, started talking to one another about, oh, hey, you know, I, I kind of know how to do this and I kind of know how to do that. And we don't really know exactly what we need to do, but we know we need to do these kind of things in the next month or two. And, you know, would you like to help? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing, but, but that, that was really kind of how it was. And, you know, uh, I would say, you know, a lot of us were a couple of years out of college, so we didn't know enough to know that this was, you know, we might be committing career suicide or something like that. We just thought, hey, it sounds kind of interesting, you know, and they're going to let us, you know, kind of decide our own way. So um, we did that. And, and it was an amazing experience because, you know, we, you know, it was the, the usual sort of almost startup kind of thing where, you know, late nights, you know, mm -hmm. calling out for pizza and, you know, working long weekends and all that, but very, very rewarding. And, and the rewarding part was that, you know, we were in a sense figuring out for ourselves. There wasn't anyone telling us what to do or not to do. Um, we just needed to get certain results. And, and our management was very supportive, mostly because they were too busy doing other things and fighting yeah. other fires. And so it's like, fine, hey, you know, if you know how to do that, go do it. You know, and, you know but, the, you know, isn't it the case, though, you think you said a couple things. And, and Trish, I want to hear your perspective on this, because, you know, one, sometimes the the ignorance is bliss thing is that you you kind of don't realize, you know, because you don't have a certain title or a certain size office or or whatever, you know, somehow we're unencumbered in our, our thinking because we don't have all this pressure from, from the, uh, the status, so to speak, of what we said. And then you also just said, you know, and oh, by the way, the leaders and the managers have a bunch of other stuff to do to get done. So yes, please go, go do this. And it sounds like you had enough boundaries around you to, to make it safe and successful. But, um, you know, Patricia, I wonder from your perspective, uh, this idea of, um, you know, your, your, idea of status, right? So if, if you're in a certain status in an organization, does it scare you to allow teams of people like Kurt many, many years ago to just go off and do something? <laughs> um, the funny thing that Kurt and I have similar um, backgrounds in is, is, is in startups. And I had that status where I was helping to run the startup. And what his story made me think about and um, sometimes I forget these experiences, but when you ask the question, so I was at a startup in France running that digital media and um, we didn't have pizza, but we had champagne. So that was a great thing, much cheaper, right? But the thing that's in interesting is when you think about startups or that kind of feel is that um, when there's a little bit of this notion of employee owned, um, you know, whether it's the business or there's profit sharing or something, and we have that, what I've seen is that that really puts everybody on the same level field and the, and the transparency of what we're trying to achieve and however you want to do it, you're, you're really saying, Hey, we're going to do the right thing because we're all trying to do these things and we all have a stake in it. And so that notion of status, whether, you know, um, 
we were working across different countries, but if it was that we had this visibility and it was more about role than about status, that made it, that really equaled the, leveled the, the playing field. So yeah, the thing is, is that that doesn't scale, right? So when you're saying, hey, you're running a startup or even, I think there's um the beer company that just sold too, right? And in order to scale or in order to get more money, they had to sell an, or employees sell their shares or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those things start to, to change and it's very much like Cotter's model. Um, yeah. where, you know, how does it, where does it go from here? Do you grow big on one side and then do you have, um, like a startup feels still what, what works there? And then all of a sudden, and I would say it's not even about just size in terms of number of people. It's about size in terms of the business or how productive you're trying to become. You almost hem- hinder yourself and you add all these levels of bureaucracy and all these rules and you try to mm-hmm. get this process going. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the person that you used to, you know, be pals with and you were going the same way and you're looking at them differently. Yeah. It's kind of like what's going on in the government now, I suppose. Yeah. And it's, isn't it interesting? It's, um, it's human behavior, right? At, at the end of the day, because, you know, similar to you both, I, I started my career in people development in 1999. So do the math, um, you know, uh, in, in a startup and in, we, we were really, we challenged ourselves for a long time to not, become bureaucratic and to not let us get from, you know, when I started 300 employees, which doesn't sound startup-y, but it really was, um, to a thousand people within a year. And how do you retain the culture of empowerment and um, agility and, and kind of focus for a quarter as you're publicly traded on the NASDAQ, as well as growing, as well as, um, having new challenges with hiring and retaining people. So I wonder, you know, from an, from a HR perspective, right. From a people perspective, um, creating that sense of ownership to me has always been something important. Just not that you own the company, but just this idea of you have ownership of your work, um, Mm. and ownership, not accountability necessarily, but ownership. And I wonder kind of to shift the conversation a little bit more towards scrum in particular, how, um, folks who are just learning about, these ways of working and organizing and, and the intentions of transparency, how we can help de kind of descale or deconstruct organizations to allow some of these great things that we all feel like, God, those were really good career moments 20 years ago to come back. How do we get back to that? Well, I think in, you know, Trish was describing it, and, and I was too, from a, from a, you know, growing from a few people to a larger organization. Um, so you can sort of learn a lesson from that um, when you're looking at how to, how to deconstruct an organization and get it back to that. And I think what happens is that there's a fundamental point in the history of a company where you go from essentially a team of people who were all sort of peers and equals, and they're working toward a common mission, and there's not much structure, there's just the people, and you're relating to each other, and you're you know, jointly determining who's going to do what, and all that. You know, think about anything, whether it's you know, responding to an emergency, or doing something where, where you're you know, building something together. Um, and I think you know, when you get beyond what a single team can do, you, you start to have some fundamental choices about what the organization looks like. And one fundamental choice, and, and I think of this as sort of a branch, you know, you can't go down two, two different branches. Um, 
So one path takes you down the approach, down, down the path to role specialization, which usually leads to a kind of um, sort of, you know, usual functional silos um, where you have specialization of role. And, and, that, and it's, that choice is usually based on the belief that there's something unique, there are unique skills required to perform that role that require specialization. Therefore, you need people to concentrate. The other path, which is less traveled, you know, to take the old Robert Frost poem, you know, I took the, the <laughs> path less traveled by, and that's made yeah. all the difference. But the, the, um, the fundamental choice is to keep teams together and to try to figure out how to break the work down so that you can still have a cohesive team, but you don't have then multiple teams stepping on one another. Mm -hmm. um, and you still might have some specialization within that team where somebody's a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. And I, I feel like that's the, the fundamental decision that once you've decided to go down one path or the other, there, there is a sort of almost irrevocable series of events that leads you to, to an end. Um, mm -hmm. But you can't do both. You can't have role specialization and this sort of strong teaming. Um, really, um, they're, they're actually they're, they're, they're sort of um, matrix management techniques for for doing uh, one. But you have a dominant. It's like being you know dominant left hand or dominant right hand. Um, so I think that's the fundamental choice. And so a lot of what we do at Scrum.org is we try to figure out you know how do we build empowered teams? How do we give them work that is is both meaningful and contributes to a goal? And then the third thing is how do you manage the dependencies? And how do, you, how do you provide transparency so that, that you know, you, you don't have, um, that, you know, the teams don't go dark and, and you don't, you know, you, can, you mm. can help them when they need help. And you can also anticipate, you know, some of the, the, the conflicts with other teams so that, that you can, you know, get essentially better working relationships between the teams. So I, I, I feel like that's, and so deconstructing that. So most organizations have taken the path of role specialization and what they need to do is figure out and learn once again how to get back to really integrated, empowered teams that can work on work and own that work and, 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 and provide transparency towards what they're doing towards some sort of goal. Can I, um, can I just piggyback off of that a little that, bit? Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kurt, Kurt said all great things, and one of the things that, you know, when we talk about Scrum, so there's a Scrum team, there's an Agile team, and they're, they're self-organized and they're trying, we're trying to scale self-organization so they can do their thing and create great things. That's great, right? And then what, you ha what, you, what happens in organizations is you see that that hits a wall. And so now you have to break down another wall and usually that next wall you talk about is, okay, how does management play into this? How do we support them? Um, how do we stop them from X, Y, and Z? And then let's say you get down through that, right? And so the management knows, okay, I got to support the teams. And then inevitably the conversation becomes, well, how do I actually support these teams and how do I reward them and bonus them so mm -hmm. that they're treated as equals, right? So let's remove all those other things. And what I think, you know, you're talking about human behavior is that there is a, a, a them versus us. So like, we're cool, mm -hmm. we're trying to do these things and here come the process police. Here come the HR police. How do we trust them? And when we're talking about experiences, you know, I can remember from a time back when, you know, I was supposed to be having a closed door conversation about why I was leaving an organization um, and any feedback. And, you know, that came back at me twofold, 200% fold. And so that wasn't a safe space. So how do you 
how do you, how do you kind of separate that us versus them? Like we're actually creating thin things and they're here to tell us what we can't do or how we need to behave and all that other stuff. So yeah. fundamentally, you know, people are emotional and they take time to adjust and they have to understand those things. And, you know, somebody has to stick their neck out. So it's almost a little bit of promotion. So, you know, we think about promoting agility and scrum. And then there's this other notion of promoting, you know, what, what you, what you've done in your career is really promoting about how HR is there to create a safe space and a supportive space. And I think, um, that that's why, you know, conversations like these are great to, to expose the two, because I think there's certainly a divide of what people understand and what people perceive to be, you know, what I do is more important than what you do. And so that's a little bit of that human behavior stuff too. Yeah, thanks for that. And and thank you for the compliment. Um, I, I think what, what you just pushed into to go back to the us versus them is that um, you know, why why do those people get to do this cool new thing and why are the rest of us still stuck in this old old structure of bureaucracy? And and I think it comes down to me of of what does it take is is the courageous leadership, right? And and um being very clear and transparent. Shocking, right? Be transparent. Why are we doing this? Why do we want to shift? Um, and why are we going to do things differently in, in team A versus team B? And what's been always fascinating to me is, is that seems like common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to just to, to be clear, why are we doing what we're doing? And, and that to engage people is not always to make them happy, right? To engage is to, to create trust, to um, create the conditions for people to do good work, you know, do their best work together, um, and to stop assuming. To Kurt's earlier point, that you know, we're we're, we're mostly adults, I, I, at least by age. <laughs> and um, how how come when we get to work, we have to assume that you have the intellect of a twelve-year-old, even though we're going to pay you essentially a lot of money um, and, and do a lot of uh, big things with shareholders money and investor money or, or people's lives, you know, depending on what you're working on. And yet, um, you know, you got to get approval to, uh, to buy that pizza, you know, <laughs> for the office. And I, I think Patricia, what you're, you're really touching on is the leadership and not only from HR, but the leadership from an organization to to say it's okay for us to try and fail. And that one thing that came up recently, and, and maybe we we kind of go here next and, and kind of close on it, is that Agile isn't the destination, right? Or or mastery of Scrum per se isn't the end goal. There it's it's in service to something else. And I think where I've seen a lot of companies get tangled in this work is that they think that there is some magic recipe to becoming agile or to getting Scrum exactly perfect. And I, I wonder how much of what we've talked about is that people are focusing a little bit too much on that, mm-hmm. not their not their purpose or what they're trying to do from a delivery standpoint. What do you think? Right. Well, I know a couple when we, we met a couple of years ago and, and um, we, we were talking about um, a book that you'd recommended that I, I like quite a lot. I, I read it after your recommendation called The Greater Goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really got me thinking about this problem of organizational transformation. And I, I, I agree that a lot of organizations treat their goal as like, we're going to become agile. And then once we're agile, we're going to be able to do great things. Um, but we don't know what those great things are yet. But, but first, we, <laughs> we need to become agile. Um, 
and and I really challenge that. And actually, that's another way of saying I reject that, because it, what what we find is that you first need to have the goal, and that your your reason for wanting to become more agile is not because it's good in itself. It's because it it really what what agility gives you is the ability to try out new ideas faster figure out what things work and what things don't work, and then focus more on the things that are working and keep doing that. So it's, it's more about faster feedback responsiveness, being able to learn faster. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's all relative. So, you know, if you have a very slow feedback loop today, the questions that you should be asking are, what can we do to improve it a little, not, not what do we need to do to make it perfect? And it's always in pursuit of this, uh, of these greater goals. And so, um, the, I think that, that sort of flip in perspective of saying, what are we really trying to achieve with agility? And so we have this, you know, a lot, a lot of people who've been in consulting are familiar with, with techniques like the five whys, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody says, well, you know, if they say, you know, if you ask them, what's your goal? They say, well, our, our goal is to become agile. You know, say, why, <laughs> what do you want to achieve out of that? And then, you know, eventually you, you know, they might say to become more efficient. And, and then you keep saying, well, why? Why do you want to become more efficient? Yeah. Well, you know, to reduce cost. Well, why? And yeah. so eventually you get to something that's more outward facing towards customers or towards um, other kinds of stakeholders that says, well, you know, it's, maybe it's that, you know, we want to improve our market share by, you know, X percent. And we need to, in order to do that, we've got to make our costs more attractive and we've got to you know, find out better what customers really need. And so those mm-hmm. other, all those other things are in service of that, that broader goal. And maybe it's even, even broader than that. Maybe it's, you know, to, you know, you know, foster world peace or, you know, <laughs> yeah. cure cancer or whatever, but sure. regardless of what it is, you know, all of those things like becoming more efficient, reducing costs, delivering faster, you know, becoming agile, those are all in service of something else. And once you can figure out what that something else is, then then you can start talk, having meaningful conversations about, well, what things do we need to do, let's say in the next two weeks or in the next month that would advance us farther toward that or test one of those hypotheses or, or test some sort of theory or learn more. Um, and you get people out of this log jam, like we have to do everything and we have to be perfect. And then, and then once we're perfect, then we can, we can start doing these other cool things. Like, no, just start from where you are. And focus on improving, but toward a real goal, not towards being agile. Yeah, I love that. Patricia, maybe for our listener standpoint, you know, if we, we're going to wind down on time here in a little bit, because I think we have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to have you guys <laughs> back uh, in the future as we keep uh, kind of cultivating more topics. But maybe what's one one piece of practical advice, particularly, you know, if if we've got some HR listeners on the phone that are or not on the phone, on the podcast. Sorry about that. Um, what would you offer them just as a way to to learn more, to to be helpful to all the things we're talking about today? Hmm. Um, only one? <laughs> well, I'll give you two. You can have two um, today. <laughs> I can have two today. So my first one is be professional. Right. So, you know, when we talk about transparency and we talk about those things, um, there, there are some things that don't, it's not a full transparency thing in terms of everything, right. It's just not useful. So I think that, um, advice might be is what is the risk of not, you know, sharing this information with my team, et cetera. 
um, because if we're talking about trying to work in um, the agile way, which supports you know trying to, to trying to get to our goals faster, um, I think we really need to look at our behavior. And so, if HR can work with you know teams, but also leaders, um, in terms of really being reflective of their own behaviors and what does that mean? So if you're saying, hey, we're gonna try to be more agile and have this mindset, then really try, you know? And what that means is, you know, thinking about, for instance, when I'm working with the team, what do they need to know? What should I tell them? And having, starting to change some of those different behaviors that we that we had, that we've developed, that have gotten us here from 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you know, um, Kurtz Kate's, you know, 10 years, no. I could say 50 years, I'll say 50. Here's any of this, um, but you know, thinking about those behaviors that have worked for us, um, because what happens is we get into a mode where, you know, in leadership, we we just we're just the way that we are, without any retrospective, without any introspection, any coach, any leader who's been used to doing the same thing um, on and on again will just go through the motions. And so it's yeah. that's what I mean when I say be professional, think yeah. about transparency, you know, and if you're really ready to adapt these things. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think what you just said too about um, professionalism goes to all levels, right? It's, it's people are choosing to, to share their time and talents with your company, you know, and, and I think if we forget that, that there's choice, you know, and for the most part, people can choose where they go to work every day. Um, and if we remember that it's our jobs to make it easy for people to choose to keep coming back, um, we're doing a good thing. We're doing a good thing. Kurt, maybe what's one thing you would add? I'll give you just one. Um, one thing to add, and then we will um, wrap up with a couple uh, closing thoughts, and definitely we'll get more time with both of you soon. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the one thing is that um, when, you, when you start working with a team and, and you say to, say to them things like, um, you know, you're empowered and, you know, you guys are self-organizing and we trust you. If the organization has been sort of a low trust organization up till that point, people feel like it's a trick. Mm. And so they, they've, they, they're, they're confused. Um, they don't. And, and actually I think most people, they're not really sure what self-organization means or, and they're not sure what it means to be self-managing. And so they need help. Um, they need help from leaders. They need help from HR professionals. They need help, you know, if they're using Scrum, they need help from, from good Scrum masters. But each of those people, you know, we're all on a journey. Um, they may not be, you know, the, they may not be a world's expert. They may not know how to do things. The Scrum master may still be learning. Um, we're, all, we're all still learning. So I think that the key thing is that we're going to have to help each other through this. None of us really knows what we're doing. We're just kind of making, you know, doing the best. You've exposed all of us. Yes. I know, I know, I know. Um, easy for me, me to say, right? Um, but, but I think that's it. I think, and, and sort of giving, giving each other permission to not be perfect, yes. um, you know, is, is really kind of key. Um, and say, okay, we're going to learn this together as long as we have, in a sense, a, a, you know, a purity of intent um, to do the right thing. Uh, and, and, and and we're honest and transparent about, you know, where maybe we've, we've, you know, fallen short um, because there's so much in many organizations, there's so much of a culture of blame. Um, things go wrong and immediately people jump on, well, who screwed up? 
It's like, oh, that's not the point. You know, it's more of the, more of the point. Of what do we, what do we learn? How do we move ahead? Um, so I think that's it. You know, it's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff packed into that, but um, it's more that, you know, we're all learning through this whole thing. We're not going to be perfect when we first, when we first start off and you just have to have to try. And, but that requires a certain amount of trust and requires a, a willingness to help each other and learn, help learn. And we're not used to that um, as a society and, and, as, and within companies. And so that's probably the first thing we have to work on is that, you know, how, how do we do that? And, and that's, that's a good question. And that's why Scrum sometimes sets boundaries around it. So um, something tangible for your listeners is really to think about the reason, um, you know, Scrum are the rules of the, green, the game. And there's rules of every game so that you know what the rules are and then if you need to break them. But um, to kind of express some things that we do to, to cover what Kurt's talking about is, you know, can you have participants create a working agreement? Mm-hmm. Um, a working agreement in a team, maybe a working agreement between HR and you know whoever needs to be there, but the participants own this agreement and revisit it as needed. So that's something that you know might be super small, but could work. No, um, it's, for it's better. those baby steps. Yeah, I feel like sometimes a lot of us, myself included, one um, pursuit of perfection. Like I'm completely a recovering perfectionist, um, and when I started to learn about Scrum and the and the boundaries and the framework thought, you know, okay, that's, that's actually smart because if I don't get it right, we only invested maybe a week or two, maybe a month at best, but we didn't invest a whole career um, and a whole budget you know, into something that actually isn't going to work. And I, and I feel like what you just said, uh, Patricia, around the working agreements, that gets to me empowerment, right? Because we hold each other responsible for what we said we were going to do. And, and, you know, from an HR standpoint, our job is not to police your working agreements. It's actually to say, well, wait a minute, did you have a working agreement? You know, and it changes the nature of of the work that we do in companies, which is to uh, spend more time coaching and teaching and equipping, you know, servant Mm -hmm. leadership practices rather than policing, which I know a lot of my fellow professionals who've chosen this career path don't want to do anyways, you know? So I think the, the advice from both of you today opens up lots more conversations. Um, one couple of things I want to just offer from the podcast standpoint. Um, one, we have a, not only feedback feature, but we have a feature where you can actually record voice messages for us. So uh, if you have any thoughts or ideas about what Kurt, Patricia, and I talked about today, please send us a message. Um, also, if you've listened to us and you want to participate in a future conversation, um, definitely reach out. And we've also made this a listener-funded podcast, and that's not to stuff the coffers of Loop uh, or, or Scrum.org. It's, it's to potentially be able to do more eventful things with uh, people who are passionate about this work, and, and whether that's gatherings, whether that's more... Uh, high-tech uh, gadgets for us to have even better podcasts, uh, who knows? But if you're interested, go ahead and uh, subscribe and donate. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for now to Patricia and Kurt, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.